Welcome to NTD Evening News. Our top story tonight, a closer look at President Trump's path to victory in New Hampshire. We break down who voted for him and what groups might bring him challenges in November, plus a major new endorsement for President Biden. Iris Tao reports. Over 60 Ukrainian prisoners of war reportedly died in a fiery plane crash in Russia, where they were headed and what Russia and Ukraine are saying about it. A new report outs Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis. Find out what it says about her expenses and how it may relate to her prosecution of former President Trump. The Hamas terrorist group releases a video of what's believed to be the strike that killed 21 Israeli troops. And is there a ceasefire on the horizon? An Israeli government spokesperson weighs in. Jason Perry has the latest war updates. Reactions pouring in over the results in New Hampshire. Our guest says Trump made history with his victory. We'll hear analysis from both sides of the aisle. This is NTD Evening News. Live from our NTD Global Headquarters in New York City, here is Tiffany Meyer. Good evening and thank you for joining us tonight. We open with some breaking news. Alabama is set to execute a criminal with nitrogen gas tomorrow, a method never used before. The U.S. Supreme Court just declined to block the state. The man in question survived a different method of capital punishment two years ago. And in Ohio, cross-sex drugs and procedures will be banned for minors. The Senate today overrode a veto from Governor Mike DeWine. The State House also voted to bypass the veto earlier this month. The bill also limits girls and women's sports to women from birth. A Biden-Trump face-off looking increasingly likely as former President Trump secures his second consecutive win. Data shows most conservative voters voted for Trump, while Nikki Haley got support from undeclared voters. Entity's Iris Tao has more. The New Hampshire GOP primary on Tuesday set a new record for voter turnout. More than 300,000 voters cast their vote and they were closely divided between registered Republicans and undeclared voters. But a more moderate voter base here did not stop Trump from securing a double-digit victory against Nikki Haley. And so that means this is effectively a general election testing ground. And if he wins by a reasonable margin, that predicts a landslide in November. According to data by the Associated Press, Trump won about 7 in 10 voters who identified as conservatives and those who were registered Republicans. Nikki Haley, meanwhile, performed better among undeclared voters who are not affiliated with any political party. And just about half of those who voted for her say they are conservatives. This race is far from over. There Haley's already campaigning in South Carolina on Wednesday as Trump is set to hit the campaign trail again this Saturday in Nevada. Meanwhile, President Biden on Wednesday touting a long-awaited endorsement from the United Auto Workers. Look, I kept my commitment to be the most pro-union president ever. I'm proud you have my back. And now the chances for a Biden-Trump rematch are ever higher. President Biden saying after Trump's win in New Hampshire that it's clear that Trump will become the GOP nominee. He adds that personal freedoms and democracy are at stake in November. Reporting in Concord, New Hampshire, Iris Tao, NTD News. Meanwhile, CNN's exit poll shows young Republicans made up Trump's strongest age group in Tuesday's primary. 
60% of voters age 18 to 29 voted for Trump, a sign that the former president is expanding his voter base in areas where he previously lacked. Today, a Russian military plane crashing near the Ukrainian border. The Kremlin is accusing Kyiv of shooting the plane down, saying all 74 people on board were killed, including Ukrainian prisoners of war. Russia offered no evidence, and Ukraine didn't immediately confirm or deny it. This footage was posted on the Telegram messaging app and verified by Reuters. The plane was shot down near the village of Yablonovo in the Belgorod region, which borders Ukraine. Russian state media said six Russian crew members and three guards were on board at the time. The plane was an Ilyushin IL-76, similar to those seen here, designed to airlift troops, cargo, military equipment and weapons. Near the scene, locals said they had two explosions before the plane fell from the sky. The second one was more audible. After that, we all ran outside, even the doctor, in case any help was needed. It crashed far away from the village. It was very loud and scary. The Russian Defense Ministry confirmed its radar operators had detected the launch of two Ukrainian missiles at the time the plane was downed. Details of who were on board are not confirmed yet, but Moscow and Kyiv have regularly swapped prisoners since the war started in 2022. Ukraine says it's still investigating the incident and cautioned against spreading unverified information. Sweden is now one step closer to becoming a member state of NATO. Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban said in a social media post today that his government supports Sweden's membership bid. Orban said in the post that, quote, we will continue to urge the Hungarian National Assembly to vote in favor of Sweden's accession. On Tuesday, Orban invited his Swedish counterpart to visit and negotiate Sweden's bid to join the military alliance. Hungary and Turkey had delayed Sweden's membership bid, but Turkey's parliament approved NATO membership for Sweden on Tuesday. Now, Hungary is the only NATO member yet to ratify Sweden's membership. Orban relayed his support in a phone call to NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg. After the call, Stoltenberg said he was looking forward to Sweden's membership as soon as the Hungarian parliament reconvenes. Israeli Defense Forces are meeting strong resistance in the southern Gaza Strip as they try to defeat the Hamas terrorist group. And even after facing their deadliest day in the war, Israeli troops appear determined to keep pressing forward. NTD's Jason Perry has the latest on the war. On Wednesday, Israel Defense Forces released a video of a Hamas lookout who was preparing to attack Israeli forces. And then the IDF struck the target. Israel Defense Forces are facing strong resistance in Khan Yunus, one of the final strongholds for Hamas terrorists in the Gaza Strip. But despite the intense battles, the IDF continues pressing forward, even just days after Israel's bloodiest day in the war. On Tuesday, Hamas released what's believed to be a video of Monday's deadly attack. The video shows a terrorist firing a rocket-propelled grenade at this building, where IDF troops were said to be inside, setting up explosives to demolish it. And reportedly, that building and a building next to it collapsed, killing 21 Israeli troops. And even after such a devastating loss, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu appears undeterred 
as he spoke at Israel's parliament on Wednesday. We have set out the objectives of the war and they remain in force. There is not, nor will there be, any compromise on what affects the safeguarding of our existence and future for generations. Also on Wednesday, Netanyahu met with the UK's foreign minister, David Cameron, who also met with family members of the hostages held captive in the Gaza Strip. Many of the family members have been advocating for a ceasefire to release the hostages. But an Israeli government spokesperson on Wednesday said this. There will be no ceasefire. In the past, there were pauses for humanitarian purposes. That agreement was breached by Hamas. Also on Wednesday, Turkish President Tayyip Erdogan met with the president of Iran, which backs the terrorist groups currently fighting Israel. The terrorist groups have also been attacking U.S. forces in Iraq, Iran's neighboring country. The Iran-backed group Qatab Hezbollah attacked U.S. forces at Al-Assad Air Base in Iraq on Saturday and Wednesday, injuring at least four U.S. personnel. In response, the U.S. struck the terrorist group's headquarters, storage and training facilities for rockets, missiles, and one-way attack drone capabilities. Iraq now finds itself in a tough position, being an ally of both the United States and Iran. A spokesperson for Iraq's prime minister said the strikes undermine years of cooperation, violates Iraq's sovereignty, and contributes to an irresponsible escalation. Jason Perry, NTD News. Fulton County, Georgia District Attorney Fannie Willis reportedly hired a service to track media coverage of herself and her office days before announcing the probe into former President Trump. The Daily Caller News Foundation reports that it obtained documents that show on February 8, 2021, Willis received an invoice for a $10,000 contract with a New York-based media monitoring service. Three days later, on February 11th, she announced in a letter to four state officials, including Governor Brian Kemp, that she had opened a criminal probe into Trump. Fulton County data shows a one-time payment of $10,000 on May 28, 2021 for the service. The service had sent multiple past due invoices. Willis reportedly said in an email to the company, until your company jumps through the county hoops, it is impossible to pay you. How was Nikki Haley's performance in New Hampshire and what is her path going forward? Joining us now to offer her reactions to the GOP primary, we have Jenny Beth Martin. She's the co-founder of Tea Party Patriots. Jenny Beth Martin, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Now, Trump made history last night winning New Hampshire following his win in Iowa. Now, no non-incumbent has ever won both and not gotten the nomination. Now, to begin, what's your reaction to all of this, especially given that New Hampshire is more moderate liberal than Iowa? Well, I think it is wonderful that, that Trump won New Hampshire. He won it, won it resoundingly. It was a majority, um, a firm majority voted for Trump. And he, he did make history because he was the only person who has won that three times. So that's pretty amazing for him. We're in a much different place than we were in 2016. In 2016, Ted Cruz had won Iowa and Trump won New Hampshire. And so they still had to figure out who was going to ultimately be on top. 
This time, Trump won both Iowa and New Hampshire, and I think that it is time for Nikki Haley to step aside and end her campaign. If she continues and goes on into South Carolina, I think it's not going to be good for her personally, because I don't think she's going to win her home, home state of South Carolina. On the note of Nikki Haley, one of the main differences last night compared to Iowa was the independent or undeclared votes. About 39% of registered voters in the state are undeclared. That's over 340,000 people. Now, many thought that that would help Nikki Haley potentially get an upset. What's your understanding of how last night turned out? I'm not going to discount the pundits completely who say she was able to win some of the independent vote. And, and Trump is going to need that independent swing vote in November. That is absolutely correct. But I also think that she won a lot of votes of people who are not going to vote for a Republican in the general election, period, whether it's Nikki Haley or Trump. And she won Democrat votes who just want to try to eliminate Trump, but they still are going to vote for Biden come November. So I, I just... I. I don't think she really got the bounce that she was hoping for. Otherwise, she would have won. She previously had said New Hampshire straightens out Iowa. Well, New Hampshire straightened out Iowa and made it clear that Trump is going to become the nominee. Expanding on that, Nikki Haley is saying she's not backing down. There's still several states to go. Now, New Hampshire's governor, Chris Sununu, is now slamming Ronna McDonald. She's the RNC chairwoman. She's calling for the Republicans to unite around Trump. Now, what do you make of that? Should Haley drop out now? I think that she should drop out now. And the call among the Republican Party officially or among chairman of the party, we're going to see that play out not just from Rana today, but also the Georgia Republican Party, the chairman of the Republican Party in Georgia, and the national committee man and committee woman said it's time to unite around Trump. I think we're going to see that in other states around the country. And we're also going to see that in local county parties around the country as well. So I think that people just, we want to be able to focus on November, to focus our time and our money and our energy on November because we have to get rid of the leftists in the White House. Speaking of November, given Trump's wins in both Iowa and New Hampshire, are we seeing a rematch between Trump and Biden or could his legal woes actually put a dent into that? I think that we are going to see a rematch between Trump and Biden. I don't think his legal woes are going to do that, even if he runs into trouble from those. And it's, it's possible that that he winds up being convicted. And I think it's important for people to mentally prepare for that. Hopefully it doesn't happen, but it's possible that it could happen. That still will not prevent him from being on the ballot. And I think it just would continue to show that this is a political, a political maneuver using the legal system against him for political purposes. But in the end, Voters are going to be able to choose, what was my life like? How was my life better? Is it better with Biden as president or was it better with Trump as president? And I think most Americans know in their heart of hearts it was better with Trump as president. And I think that people who maybe are like, well, I don't know if I really should vote for Trump because maybe it's not the cool thing to do or whatever. 
okay, if that's how you feel, just go vote for Trump in the, the ballot booth and nobody will know it's a secret ballot. We need to do what's right for America and what's right for each individual family across the country as well. Jenny Beth Martin, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Coming up, many say former President Trump will lock in the nomination and face President Biden in November. What does a Democrat have to say about the prospects? We hear from the former chair of the D.C. Democratic Party. Arkansas residents stay alert. A manhunt is underway for two inmates who escaped prison. Find out more about them. And a woman spent the night stranded on top of her car after it plunged into a creek. We'll have video of her dramatic rescue when we come back. Welcome back. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is one step closer to getting on the presidential ballot in all 50 states. His campaign announced Tuesday that he can get on the ballot in New Hampshire this November. This is after getting the 3,000 signatures required. Kennedy said in a statement that democracy is much more than voting and that he was inspired by how enthusiastic people are to create new political parties and rally for change. Kennedy is now eligible for two states ballots and he continues to work toward adding more states. Earlier this month, Utah became the first state to give Kennedy a spot on its ballot. Kennedy changed his affiliation from Democrat to Independent last October. As an independent, Kennedy didn't compete during the recent New Hampshire primary, but he is optimistic that he will have an opportunity to debate President Biden. Joining us now to react to the results from New Hampshire and the presidential race going forward, we have A. Scott Bolden. He's a former chair of the D.C. Democratic Party. A. Scott Bolden, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Thank you for having me. Now, a DNC rule change meant that no delegates went to the Democrats last night in New Hampshire. Now, several other Democratic candidates are s essentially accusing the DNC of disenfranchising voters in the state. Could this actually come back to bite President Biden and the DNC? I don't think so. There was more than enough notice that they were going to start their Democratic primary in South Carolina. It's a more diverse state. It represents the core base of the Democratic Party. And it's not like we're not going to be in New Hampshire. We just weren't going to go to New Hampshire first. And so I think there's some hurt feelings. I'm a former state party chair from uh, D.C. We're never first. And quite frankly, because eight out of every 10 Democrats or eight out of every 10 people in D.C. are Democrats. We're not very relevant, appropriate when we material to what the nomination process is, but we're all Democrats. So I think we'll be fine. I think Biden will be fine. Now, one major difference last night in terms of the primary was the independent vote. 39% of registered voters in the state are undeclared or independents. Now, how much of an impact do you see the DNC rule change playing into how that block turned out for the Republican ticket last night? Well, that block turned out the independents and undeclared, uh, I think 60 to 30 or 60 to 40 percent for Nikki Haley. And we think that's what's going to happen nationally, if you will. Those who are GOP, registered GOP, uh, committed to Trump, 
and they have 80% of his supporters in New Hampshire, as I've read in the reports, uh, were going to vote for him no matter what. Um, Nikki Haley needed to get about 60 to 80% of those independents. Uh, she got 60%, but it wasn't enough to overcome the GOP drive for Donald Trump. I don't think that's going to hurt the Democrats because um, Donald Trump is going to be the nominee. If Nikki Haley had won with those non-declared or those independents, it would have confirmed what I as a Democrat and others would be concerned about would be that if Nikki Haley is the nominee, all of our strategy up to this point is going to be tossed and we have to figure out how to be a female, uh, moderate uh, GOP candidate. That's not in the cards. It never has been. And uh, Nikki Haley's right about one thing. Uh, the polling says she can beat Biden. I don't believe that, but she certainly would be formidable and be difficult for us to uh, fight back against. She just would. Hmm. And now an NBC exit polls found that while 51 percent of the voters who cast ballots for a Republican candidate last night identified as Republican, 43 percent said they were undeclared independents and 6 percent said they were Democrats. What do you make of this? It's a weird system. But in the end, it's a pretty good bellwether on where the country is. Donald Trump won, by, I think, by 10 or 11 points. Uh, Nikki Haley's got a moderate message. She's going after Donald Trump. Donald Trump controls half or slightly less than half in the GOP. And she's got to go get the other registered Republicans around the country to support her. She's got to get a win. She doesn't have a win yet. And so I think she's going to stay in the race for two reasons. One, she believes she can get a win somewhere, maybe in the District of Columbia. But two, the legal fortunes of Donald Trump are up in the air. Now, a poll in USA Today, Suffolk University, is showing that 44% of GOP primary voters were, quote, very enthusiastic about Trump versus 18% of Democrats for Biden. How do you see that impacting voter turnout in the general election in November? Well, New Hampshire, Biden wasn't on the ballot. There was no Democratic primary. There were no delegates, delegates that were awarded to any Democratic candidate, and he still won. Uh, I think he had like 18,000 votes. Uh, I don't think that's going to have a factor in the general election. Uh, the Biden campaign is just uh, gearing up. They've got staff leaving the White House to go over for the campaign. Uh, we're going to start to really distinguish ourselves uh, between Biden uh, and his legislative successes and how he's led the country with the crassness and chaos of Donald Trump. Given that choice, whether the voting public wants to see it or not, it's going to be Biden versus Trump, Trump versus Biden. And whether they want to see it or not, they're going to have to vote. And I believe more independents, some moderate Republicans, and all Democrats, whether you're far left or middle center, are going to choose Biden. We'll choose Biden's experience uh, and his leadership over Donald Trump and all of his legal issues and all of the, all the chaos that comes with him. I just don't believe America wants that. In the end, it may be a close race. But I think Biden pulls it out based on his experience and his wisdom. Now, on that note, Biden challenger Dean Phillips yesterday attended a New Hampshire Trump rally and described it as, quote, hospitable, kind and welcoming. Now, some are saying in order to win the general that Biden has to extend a similar olive branch to the, quote, MAGA extremists. What do you make of that? I don't make much of it. Dean wants to get as much 
publicity as he can. I don't know which side of the line that he went to. He went to the nice MAGA side because they got a violent MAGA side that we've seen on TV and seen on video before. And those who don't, who believe in political violence as a means to an end, not all, without a doubt, but some. And so uh, that's a different juxtaposition. That's quite a juxtaposition to what we've seen before. Uh, listen, the MAGA supporters are going to vote for Donald Trump no matter what. Uh, Biden supporters, while it may appear soft in some polls, that's going to tighten up. When people start to feel a better economy, uh, inflation's on the, on, is on a, in the downward trend, uh, the stock market is up, when people start to feel it, then, and they start to focus on the distinctions between Biden and Trump, it's our goal as Democrats to not only get out the vote, right, go TV, and to get people to the polls and uh, get our base going, when given that choice, including independents and moderate Republicans, whether they hold their nose or not, they're going to vote for Biden as opposed to Trump. It's just, just look at the record. Democracy, abortion, all these important issues, Biden's right on those issues, and Trump and the GOP are wrong on those issues. Hey, Scott Bolden, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. A major shakeup in Arizona. The state's Republican Party chairman, Jeff DeWitt, has resigned. DeWitt announced his resignation in a statement earlier today. This came after Arizona's U.S. Senate candidate, Carrie Lake, called for him to resign. It all started with an audio recording the Daily Mail published on Tuesday. It appears to show DeWitt presenting Lake with an offer of money to leave politics. The conversation reportedly took place last March. In his statement, DeWitt said he initially decided to fight for his job, but he said Lake's team sent him an ultimatum earlier today. It asked DeWitt to, quote, resign today or face the release of a new, more damaging recording. The former chairman said he's unsure of the contents of that recording, but he resigned as Lake requested so that she would stop what he called her attacks. A manhunt is underway in Arkansas. Two inmates escaped a detention center this week, including a capital murder suspect. NTD's Christina Corona has more on the story. According to the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office, Noah Roush, 22, and Jatonia Bryant, 23, were discovered to be missing from the Dub Brassel Adult Tension Center in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, Monday. Major John Bean told Fox News Digital they were able to get out through the shower area by making a hole through the ceiling. And then once making their way through that hole, they made a hole in the roof of our facility and got out through there. The Sheriff's Office warned that the two inmates are deemed dangerous and only law enforcement should engage with them. Roush was held at the center on probable charges of residential burglary and theft of property and was additionally a suspect in a homicide. Roush is described as a white male who was six feet two inches tall, weighing approximately 180 pounds and having a scar on the right side of his head. Bryant was being detained on probable cause for capital murder. He is described as a black male who was five feet 11 inches tall, weighing around 145 pounds. Anyone with information on their whereabouts are urged to call the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office. Christina Corona, NTD News. In California, a woman was rescued after surviving 15 hours on top of her car, which had flipped over and into a creek. Luckily, a camper spotted her and was able to call 911. NTD's Jason Blair has more. 
A woman's car was flipped over while trying to cross a creek and cement bridge during heavy rain in Livermore, California on Monday night. She was able to get on top of her upside down vehicle, but was stuck for nearly 15 hours before being hoisted out by a helicopter. A nearby camper saw her the next morning and called 911. The women's phone and other personal items were lost during the accident, so she couldn't call for help. Rescuers said she likely misjudged the water's depth and is lucky to be alive. Alameda County Fire Department Battalion Chief Kent Carlin told KTVU on Tuesday, quote, The water was significantly rapid when we arrived. I can only imagine that last night it was flowing a little heavier. The woman was taken to a hospital with minor injuries and hypothermia. She's expected to be fine. Emergency crews want to remind people not to drive through water if it can be avoided and to find another route. Jason Blair, NTD News. Coming up, months of negotiations on changes to border policy now hangs in the balance as Republicans lash out at their own party's leadership for allowing the talks to go on behind closed doors. Melina Weiskup on Capitol Hill. And the immigration showdown in Texas continues. The Epic Times is at the southern border, bringing us first-hand reporting. And the SEC announces new rules for so-called blank check companies, or SPACs. We'll tell you how these regulations will protect investors when we come back. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some today's top headlines. The United Auto Workers Union endorsed President Biden after he won a write-in campaign in New Hampshire. On the Republican side, former President Trump won by double digits against Nikki Haley amid record-high primary voter turnout. The Supreme Court declined to halt the execution of an inmate who is set to die by nitrogen gas. Kenneth Smith of Alabama will be the first one executed by this wholly new method. Lawmakers in Ohio overrode a veto from Governor Mike DeWine over a transgender bill. From now on, cross-sex drugs and procedures will be banned for minors, and girls and women's sports will be limited to biological women. A Russian military plane crashed near the border of Ukraine. Russia said all 74 people on board were killed, including Ukrainian prisoners of war. Russia offered no evidence, and Ukraine didn't immediately confirm or deny those claims. Israel said there will be no ceasefire with the Hamas terrorist group. This was while the U.S. struck the headquarters of the Iran-backed Kataib Hezbollah in Iraq. Aid for Ukraine, Israel and Taiwan on hold, while Democrats and Republicans try to find common ground on border policy. Republicans are now growing anxious that Senate leaders will try to rush a bill without leaving adequate time to review it. Entity's Melina Weiskup reports from Capitol Hill. Senators are going on months now negotiating changes to border policy. However, Republicans are hitting some sticking points. They say parole authority is one of their main concerns. They accuse the president of abusing this authority to simply release illegal immigrants into the country. And they say they want guarantees that this is going to stop. Up until this administration, about 5,000 awards of parole a year. 
Now we're granting it to hundreds of thousands of people. And I think that the parole issue is going to be the deciding factor. But now there's a broader issue that is Senate Republicans lashing out at their own leadership that is Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell for keeping the vast majority of the body in the dark. One of the gentlemen under the interstate living in a refrigerator box knows more about it than I do. Let's do, let's release monthly Ukraine aid if the numbers of people come across the border and stay go down. Leader McConnell said, no way. Senator Mike Lee is now trying to push for his Republican colleagues to require at least three weeks for them to actually read the bill before they're made to vote on it. This is a starkly different timeline than what Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell wanted. He wanted this bill to be done and voted on by the end of this week. Democrats, for their part, are now saying that Republicans are holding much-needed Ukraine aid hostage. There are some on the fringes who are unfortunately, though, trying to do precisely that to sink this supplemental package from afar. Uh, aid for Ukraine, and it's disgusting. It's disgusting that, that Trump and, and other Republicans are willing to turn their back on, on the Ukrainians. A group led by Senator Rick Scott expressing that they're furious with this bill and how McConnell has handled it, even going so far as to say that this is an example of Senate Republicans launching political warfare on their House colleagues since the lower chamber likely won't pass it anyway. Reporting from Capitol Hill, Melina Weiskup, NTD News. The border dispute between Texas and the federal government continues. Our sister media, the Epic Times, is in the Lone Star State, bringing us firsthand reporting. Meanwhile, Texas Senator Ted Cruz gives a heated answer while speaking with NTD in Washington today. NTD's Arian Pazdar has a border update. Homeland Security sent yet another letter to Texas demanding unrestricted access to Shelby Park. The department writes the state has alleged that Shelby Park is open to the public, but we do not believe this statement is accurate, adding that Texas continues to restrict U.S. Border Patrol's access to the park. Now, the letter also cites a Monday Supreme Court ruling, which says that the federal government is allowed to remove razor wire deployed by Texas. And on Tuesday, a spokesperson for Texas Department of Public Safety commented on this Supreme Court ruling while talking to our sister media, The Epoch Times. Watch. Uh, Supreme Court decision gives Border Patrol the legal authority to cut the Constantino wire. Now, it doesn't change operations as far as with DPS or National Guard and what we're doing right now at Shelby Park. Um, there is still restricted access uh, to us, U.S. Border Patrol to enter the park. Texas, meanwhile, continues to install more fencing and razor wire. Texas Senator Ted Cruz on Wednesday told NTD he supports what state authorities are doing. And so Texas is stepping up to defend our state. I'm glad we are. But the reason Texas is doing so is because Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer and the Democrats affirmatively want this invasion. The agency doesn't currently have a plan to take down the wire, although the administration went to court over the issue. So the clearing process will start immediately or how does that so work? So it allows us to have access to the border. So Okay, so no timetable right now and nope. that operation is over? No. The Biden administration previously explained that Border Patrol needs unrestricted access to all areas in case of emergencies. That's, for example, to provide first aid to law enforcement or to illegal immigrants crossing the river. Arian Pastar, NTD News. 
Boeing CEO Dave Calhoun is meeting with senators on Capitol Hill this week to address concerns about the grounding of the 737 MAX 9. This as United Airlines, a longtime Boeing customer, is raising questions over billions of dollars in orders for MAX 10 jets. Calhoun said the plane maker will only support the operation of its airplanes if it is 100% confident in their safety. We believe in our airplanes. We feel that safe airplanes, our people do. We have confidence in the safety of our airplanes, and that's what all of this is about. And we fully understand the gravity. The meetings come after an incident involving an Alaska Airlines jet. A plug replacing an unused exit door tore off, forcing an emergency landing. Senators Ted Cruz and Mark Warner are among those meeting Calhoun. The FAA grounded 171 MAX 9 planes, prompting worries about delays and regulatory issues for the larger MAX 10. United Airlines CEO Scott Kirby said they would build a new fleet plan that does not include that model. The Securities and Exchange Commission has come out with new rules for SPACs or special purpose acquisition companies. This comes after SPACs have already lost their popularity. NTD's Arlene Richards looks into how the new rules will protect investors. Gary Gensler's SEC has come out with new rules for SPACs or special purpose acquisition companies. Gensler has made it clear he's not a fan of SPACs, even back in 2021. Suppose a group of strangers came up to you and said, I have a company that doesn't do much of anything, but sometime in the next two years, we'll merge with another company. I don't know what that company is yet. Would you invest in the stranger's company? Gensler goes on to explain in this video that a SPAC is a public company. Its goal is to merge with a private company, thus making it public, avoiding the normally long, tedious process for an initial public offering or IPO. We need to make sure that investors in SPACs are being protected. Companies raising money from the public have to provide adequate disclosures. I think we can enhance the disclosures that companies raising money via SPACs make. A little over two years later, 581 pages of those disclosure requirements are out. The rules expand disclosure requirements for the people who made the SPAC regarding conflicts of interest, compensation, dilution, and the target company. They also try to align the legal liabilities of a SPAC with the legal liabilities of a traditional IPO. It's a non-event that the SEC is trying to make an event in order to basically uh, provide some sort of evidence, some sort of validation for their existence. VJ Marolia is the managing partner of Regal Point Capital. He says the rules don't do much for investors and they're already too late. SPAC IPOs had already peaked they dropped from 613 IPOs in 2021 to only 31 in 2023. It'll have little to no effect on uh, everyday investors. They are not investing, they're gambling. Okay, that's why the peaks are at the same time because they're not looking for an investment thesis to play out. They're actually looking for just a higher price. Now that Gensler's new rules are out, they'll undergo a public comment period. The rules will become effective 125 days after their publication in the Federal Register. Arlene Richards, NTD News. Coming up, new changes to Netflix plans and prices. Find out how this will affect your streaming experience and your wallet. 
And in the NFL, Chiefs tight end Travis Kelsey criticizes a risky play during their win over Buffalo. Dave Martin joins us to explain when we come back. Welcome back. We have a lot of sports news for you today. First, LeBron James and Steph Curry are headlining Team USA's player pool for the 2024 Olympics. The 12-member basketball team will be selected from 41 players. NBA's three-point leader Steph Curry has never represented the U.S. at the Olympics before. Four-time NBA champion LeBron James last played for Team USA in 2012 when they won gold. The U.S. won its fourth consecutive Olympic title at the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. The national team will be led by head coach Steve Kerr, who also guides the NBA's Golden State Warriors. Netflix is getting rid of its basic ad-free plan. How does this affect pricing and features available to customers? NTD's Stephanie Sakholm reports. In the Q4 earnings interview, co-CEO Greg Peters emphasized the strategic advantages of Netflix ad-supported tiers over the basic plan. Peters says the standard with ads plan offers customers enhanced features at a more affordable price. Despite the expectation that advertising will take several years to significantly contribute to revenue, Netflix says it remains dedicated to expanding its reach and refining ad targeting. Peters also said they thought about putting ads by default like Amazon, but decided not to to keep Netflix ad-free for members who don't want them. Netflix ad-free plans include the standard and premium. People currently on the basic plan can remain on that plan until their plan is changed or account is cancelled. Ad-supported plans are now accessible in various countries, priced at $6.99 per month in the U.S., which is less than half the cost of the standard plan. Netflix will continue with occasional price increases, emphasizing that these adjustments contribute to ongoing investments in service improvement and overall growth. And Netflix on Tuesday said it plans to buy rights to WWE Raw for live streaming of world wrestling matches. The $5 billion deal will be paid out over 10 years and could allow the streaming giant to compete in live sports coverage. Stephanie Sikal, NTD News. And now for more sports news, we're joined by NTD's Dave Martin. Dave, three players were elected to baseball's Hall of Fame yesterday, including two on their first try. Now, is there an added significance to being a first ballot Hall of Famer? Yeah, I mean, that's something that the voters, this is the Baseball Writers Association, has kind of adopted on their own to really essentially differentiate the very best uh, from the rest. Some voters will purposely not vote for a player on their first try just because they don't think that they're in that elite category of first ballot Hall of Famers, but then they might vote for them down the road in a year or two. I mean, personally, I think it's kind of silly. I mean, obviously, what a player has accomplished isn't going to change in a year or two because they have to be retired for five years to be eligible in the first place. Now, players can be on the ballot for up to 10 years as long as they keep getting at least 5% of the vote. So there's a process that's already in place. You have a number, number of opportunities already. In any case, Joe Maurer and Adrian Beltre are in on their first try. Todd Helton is in on his sixth try. Uh, so I think the voters got it right with this class. 
On out moving to NBA news, the second place Milwaukee Bucks fired their head coach yesterday and reportedly already have his replacement lined up. What's been the reaction to this whirlwind news? You know, I think I think it's still been a bit of a mystery as to why they got rid of Adrian Griffin in the first place. They had the second best record in the league. I'll grant they have some they had some defensive struggles. They were allowing 120 points a game. Only five teams were allowing more than that. But they were winning. Now, of course, they have some high expectations with the addition of Damian Lillard. But this seemed excessive. excessive. I mean, Griffin was in his first season as head coach. Maybe something else was going on that will soon come to light. We're really not sure. Now, they've reportedly already replaced him with Doc Rivers. Rivers has had plenty of regular season success, but for whatever reason has struggled in the playoffs, at least at his last two stops. He did win a title at Boston in 2008. So it's really hard to argue with this uh, hiring by them. On well, our shifting gears to the Australian Open, second-ranked Carlos Alcaraz lost today. Now you've pointed out how tough he's played Novak Djokovic. Do you see anyone left that can beat Djokovic? I mean, yeah, but it's certainly less likely. Now looking at Djokovic's record against the remaining three players left, he's 8-1 and one against them, at least in Grand Slam play. Now I'm using the Grand Slam results because they play best of five sets there. All other events are best of three. Now Alcaraz and Djokovic have split their two Grand Slam matches, though neither was at the Australian Open. Now meanwhile on the women's side, American teenager Coco Gauff, she's into the semifinals. Uh, where she'll play the reigning Australian Open champion, Arena Sabalenka. Now, Goff, she's ranked fourth. She's fresh off for her U.S. Open title, where she beat Sabalenka in the finals. This is the farthest, though, she's reached in the Australian Open. Goff's match will be at 3.30 a.m. Eastern time tomorrow morning. Friday will be the men's semifinals, probably early morning hours here as well. Well, now in NFL news, Chiefs tight end Travis Kelsey, also known as Taylor Swift's boyfriend, criticized the Bills for running a risky fake punt against them on Sunday. What was the general reaction to this? Uh, that was the general reaction that most people criticize. It wasn't my reaction, actually. I mean, certainly a fourth and five in your own territory, running a fake punt is pretty risky. But that also gives you the element of surprise. And five yards is not that far. They really should have converted it, too, because Kansas City messed up. They only had 10 men on the field instead of 11. So they had the numbers as far as more blockers than were defensive players on that side. They just didn't really block well. Now, fortunately for them and head coach Sean McDermott, who called the play, it didn't cost them because the Chiefs ended up fumbling the ball away on the ensuing possession. I think it's one of those risky plays that makes you look smart, of course, if it works, not so smart if it doesn't. But for Buffalo, it just kind of added to their playoff misery, and they lost the game, of course, anyway. I still think they'll be back next year as a contender. Well, Dave, as always, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tiff. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Good night.